The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) What's up, guys? AFC East and our same place opponents in the books, in the rear view, and we continue to move on through our 2022 opponent preview series. This time, starting with the NFC East, and up first, we have the New York football giants. And, uh, you know, just so... uh, Having so much fun uh, with this as I do uh, every year. I'm sure you guys have heard me say about a dozen times already and a thousand times over the years. Uh, this is my favorite time to be doing uh, these shows. I, I, you know, I learn a lot about our opponents and meeting the new people that join the show, welcoming old friends back, and uh, including the gentleman that we have here with us today, uh, Ryan Dunleavy from the New York Post, uh, here to pr- help us with the uh, 2022 uh, New York Giants. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's always fun. We got uh, we got a new friend for the for next week or next or for the next episode on Thursday. Uh, it's uh, his his uh, his Twitter handle is Mister Who. I think I, on the when I talked to him the other day, I said his name was Mister Wu, but he told me to call him Brian. So our good friend Brian uh, from the, <laughs> uh, will be on the show Thursday to help us with the Washington Commanders. Uh, no longer the football team or the Redskins, as uh, uh, I think I referred to him as the Skins or the Redskins a couple of times through the conversation. It's even somebody like him who has a podcast and uh, you know is a fan of the team still makes that mistake from time to time uh, as well. So, um, but um, you know, then we have uh, Brandon Lee Gouton from Bleeding Green Nation will be with us for the Eagles, and uh, we've had him on the show several times uh, over the years, and then RC Ochoa. Uh, we'll be here to help us with the Cowboys to wrap up the NFC East before we get into our old friends from the NFC North in Evan Western, um, Jeremy Reisman, and Chris Gates for the uh, Packers, Lions, and Vikings, uh, respectively. So, And then, of course, we put a button on the whole thing. Lauren Cox will come back to help us preview the Bears right before we start training camp. So, uh, you know, we're about halfway through right now. This is number eight of uh, 14 so we're just on the other side of halfway uh it's our downhill slope uh if you will so we got uh, eight more of these to go uh seven more to go after this so yeah here we go so anyway guys uh not gonna waste a lot of time today um do i gotta say thanks for all the feedback on the format for this year's uh show um a lot of you interested to hear what i have to say on the league as a whole uh those tuesday episodes will be basically a recap uh, of the week for the NFL and then uh, still debating on whether or not um, the NFL preview of the week will be 
the Thursday episode or the Friday episode. Right now I'm leaning towards Friday and that being kind of like the the button on the week for you, uh, if you will. We, we talk about all the games and not just the Bears. And the Bears episode would be on Thursdays with our, our guest uh, for the week. So anyway, guys, uh, let's go ahead and get into this. It is our first NFC East preview uh, opponent preview episode with Ryan Dunleavy from the New York Post talking about the 2022 New York Giants here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Out loud our first team through our journey through the NFC East as the Bears play the NFC East again this season. Uh, with the New York Giants, it uh, must be, what, the fourth, fifth year in a row that we end up playing the uh, – the Giants and, and here once again to help us preview these uh, 2022 New York Giants, our good friend from the New York Post, Ryan Dunleavy. Ryan, how are we doing, man? Good. How are you? It does feel like an annual uh, an annual reconnection. Yeah. yeah, it's it's starting to feel that way. I mean, last year, I think the two previous seasons were because the Bears and the Giants keep finishing in the same place in the standings. And then this year, it's just the, uh, you know, I guess the triannual, if you will, uh you know, journey through the NFC East. So we were playing you guys no matter what uh, this year. So here we are uh, once again. So yeah. it's ahead. kind of you to say keep finishing in the same place <laughs> in the standings and, and not keep finishing in last place in the standings. <laughs> same is a nice, a nice synonym for last. Well, I think last year it was because we were third place finishers or something like that. So it wasn't last place the year before. But um, no. Okay. Yeah, because I, uh, I think the Bears finished in third uh, in 2020. So, no, we were second place finishers. No, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That was the year the Giants almost won the division at six and two. <laughs> right. Came right, right down to the last Sunday night game in Washington, and the Eagles laid down, and the Giants finished second at six and ten. Yeah. Right. That's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Everything was looking up. Yes. So let's talk about this 2021 season uh, real quick because, you know, when, when we talked last summer, we were talking about how basically the, the, the Giants were loading for Bear, trying to, make, trying to at least make one more decent run before they had to make a decision on Daniel Jones and whether they want to pick up his fifth-year option and, uh, and things like that. And, you know, Joe Judge in his second season uh, as coach and, 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 and what have you. And, you know – what was your outlook for the season and, and basically did it go the way you thought it would, or did the wheels just come off at one point? Talking about last year? Yes, sir. Uh, no, it went totally opposite of the way I thought it would. No, uh, they loaded up totally opposite of the way they thought it would. I mean, they loaded up thinking that, you know, sign Kenny Galladay, splurred, go over budget to sign a Dory Jackson, uh, Load up and, you know, like we just joked about, they had finished six and 10 and in second place in 2020. So they thought, okay, you know, the NFC East isn't very good. We're a piece or two away from even if we're an eight or eight and eight or nine and seven team winning the division and getting back to the playoffs. So they made some splurges and, uh, kind of they thought that was their year to get back to being on top of the NFC East and it just the bottom fell out. And, Look, they were four and seven when Daniel Jones hurt his neck, or yeah, four and seven when Daniel Jones hurt his neck. So they weren't great, but they, you know, there were still pipe dreams of eight and eight or eight and nine or whatever. And then when Daniel Jones hurt his neck, 
the bottom fell out. They were not even an NFL team. They couldn't get first downs. They were running quarterback sneaks at their own goal line. Uh, they, I, they, I think they averaged nine points a game without him. Uh, it was just, uh, it was an amateur. It was an amateur production. The last six games of the season, so they finished four and thirteen. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the at the schedule for last year and after the week ten. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. And bye. You lose to Tampa 30-10. to 10. You, Your only win after the bye was over the Eagles 13-7. to 7. Then you And lose that to the- was that was Daniel's last game. Okay. And then the, the Dolphins game, 20 to 9. The Chargers, you had an offensive explosion with 21 uh, points. Uh, uh, I think it was 38 to 7 in the fourth quarter, and then they scored two. <laughs> yeah, 37 21, the final in that one. And then six points against the Cowboys, 10 against the Eagles, three against the Bears, and one of the more disturbing games I've watched uh, in a while. And then seven to finish out the year against the commander so i would say that you're pretty pretty close to that nine point average because that's what it's looking like to me here 10 13 9 21 6 10 3 and then 7 uh in the last what in eight nine games uh last year and um yeah it, and it, was, cost, go. it cost joe, it cost joe job joe judge his job he yeah. went from not even on the hot seat at four and seven losing his job over the last six weeks well that's the other question i wanted to ask was what's what took so long for the giants to pull the trigger on that because it looked like they were steadfast joe judge was going to come back for year number three we're going to go for it again and then at the last minute they just kind of like you know what he's actually done and we're we're throwing our hat in the race to find a new head coach too yeah i mean look they had promised him a long runway to build so that's how he operated. So he had the rug pulled out from under him, which mm-hmm. isn't fair, but sports isn't fair. Uh, but they didn't want to do that because they knew they had presented something to him that they were now taking away from him, which was patience. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, the ugliness of the last six games uh, had really turned the fans against him. The giants are an organization that is incredibly sensitive to what their fan base thinks. The fan base had lost all confidence. 
the national media, the talking heads on television had made the Giants into a punchline. Yeah. Uh, that didn't sit well. And um, there wasn't an ag- agreement with ownership. I think Mr. Mara would have kept him and Mr. Tish didn't want to keep him. Uh, so I think uh, they did. Have, I think they want, I think there was some sentiment to keep him out of just giving him a fair shot. And in the end, they decided to start. Over. Look, uh, here's another big thing too. They were going to start over at general manager regardless. Yeah. And I think they started testing. Well, I think once they started putting out their feelers for general manager, they realized they were going to have a much more impressive general manager candidate. If that GM could bring in his own coach, than if the GM had to start year one with an inherited coach. So I think all that kind of cycled up to work against Joe judge. Yeah, because it was getting ugly out there uh, for the for the Giants. The 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 whole media turning them into a joke thing. I mean, how many how many times did you did you have to relive that? You know, like you mentioned, the quarterback sneak from inside their own five yard line uh, thing before you know electing to punt or whatever the situation was. I mean, when that happened, that was everywhere basically for the entire week leading up to the next game. Yeah, that was actually the last game. So it was. Oh wow! It, yeah. it was everywhere. It was everywhere that last three or four days before Judge got fired. Yeah, um, yeah that, that and the second to last. I think it was after the Bears game. The yes, second to last game. Judge had a eleven minute diatribe in answer to a question. You know, coaches, you're speaking. Bill Belichick. If you can get him to say eleven words, is a big deal. <laughs> Judge talked for eleven straight minutes defending his program and kind of went over the top and criticized Pat Shermer and crit- and said, you know, almost suggested players were tampering and said he, they want, they missed, they signed with the, they missed playing for him on the giants and stuff and some stuff that had some, you know, basis in truth, but was obviously spoken to hyperbole. He got a little carried away and I think that embarrassed the franchise a little bit and, you know, look, it's been toxic around here for a long time. And that was just a new brand of toxicity. Yeah, because the Bears game was an absolute, uh, absolute mess. I mean, even even as a Bears fan watching my team finally dominate uh, a game, uh, it just didn't seem fun after after a while because it didn't really feel like the Giants were were really trying at one point. I mean, they basically refused to pass the ball because anytime they did, Mike Lennon was getting murdered or he was throwing interceptions. So, I mean, yeah, it I mean, really just go ahead. One of the worst offensive lines, I think, in probably a decade of the NFL, not just the Giants, a decade yeah. of the NFL, one of the worst off and it just really neutered their ability to do anything. So let's move on to this season. Yes. I just can't look back I can't look back at that debacle anymore. <laughs> I've tried to spend the last six months tried to spend the last six months cleansing myself of those memories. Well let's build our way to it. We we we, we enter free agency. We've we've got a new general manager. Um what's his name again? Joe Shane. Shane, that's it. Yes. A Bears uh, fan. You should know you grew up a Bears fan. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it, I know. But uh, so we, we, why we want to hire a guy like that who, was, who grew up a Bears fan and let him run the Bears, but whatever. Um, but he, he brings in Brian Dable, who was uh, a favorite of Bear fans to bring in because of the work he did with Josh Allen and, and uh, things like that. So, I mean, answer me this. I mean, is are the are, – do the Giants hanging on to Daniel Jones because the the quarterback market, as far as like the draft, or you know they weren't willing to trade up, trade away their their picks to get a quarterback, which is what basically everybody else did 
uh, during the offseason, or does Dable think that he can work his magic on Daniel Jones the same as he did with Josh Allen? I think he thinks it's worth a try. Okay. I think I think that's the best way to answer that question. I think he thinks it's worth I don't think they think Daniel Jones is a lost cause. So when you marry hope and realisticness, you get you get Daniel Jones back for last year. And the hope is, okay, we really haven't done anything to support. He's had the worst offensive line you could possibly have. He's had injured weapons. Saquon's been out for almost two years. Um, uh, Kenny Galladay barely played last year. Sterling Shepard's never on the field. Kadarius Tony's never on the field. Evan Ingram was never on the field. Like he's had no weapons. He's had, he, he, this is his third head coach, his third, his third offensive coordinator, no offensive line. We've in John Matter's words, we've done everything we possibly could to ruin this kid. So, um, I think there's hope that, okay, maybe he still has it and we just haven't seen it yet. And then there's realism of look, what else are they going to do? I mean, draft Kenny Pickett, who Pittsburgh ends up drafting, but I think we saw there was only one quarterback picked in the first 73 picks. Right. So it wasn't a very deep quarterback draft, so you weren't going there. The Giants the Giants were never in a million years going to trade for Deshaun Watson with what is hanging over him. That's just not their way as an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh Russell Wilson, they would have had to empty out the coffers. And I'm a big proponent of if you're not a good team, trading for a good quarterback doesn't do anything because then you're going to get here and you're not going to have any resources. If you traded five first-round picks for Russell Wilson, well, you would have just had Russell Wilson struggling here because he had no talent to throw to or block to. So that didn't make any sense. So really, the realism was, what other choice did you have? I mean, it's kind of like... You had no you had no other way to do. You weren't going to draft Kenny Pickett to start over. So like you basically were in the deny, reject his fifth year option, and give him a one more chance, a literal, a literal all or nothing season for Daniel Jones. Uh, do or die. This is your career season. It was the smart thing to do, and it was really the only thing to do. Right. And so that's that's where we are with the and if you know if he works out, then you resign him next year. And if he flops, then you go to the back to the draft next year in a much deeper quarterback draft. And uh, hopefully you get your answer either way. The tricky thing will be if they go 7-10 and 10 and they're drafting too low for a top quarterback, but they weren't good enough to be confident about Daniel Jones, then what do you do? Right. Yeah, that was, uh, that was us in 2020. We ended up trading up for Justin Fields. Uh, which was good enough to give you guys the number seven pick. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but before we get to that, let's let's talk about some of these free agent additions. Now, um, is it is it more that the Giants didn't have the cap space, or that the Giants just isn't the destination it used to be? Because I'm not really seeing any household no. names on this list. Yeah, so they they did they did Dave Gettleman really did the impossible. He built a bad team that had no cap space. Like usually, if you're a bad team, you have a lot of cap space, like the Jets. Sure. Or or if you're or if you have no cap space, you're a good team, like the Eagles or the Saints, who just keep having to finagle their salary cap because they win and they want to keep their players. Right. So I had somehow built a bad team that had no salary cap. So an absolute mess finance wise. I think they were, I don't know, something like, uh, 
they started the salary it started the off season, I don't know, like twenty million dollars over the salary cap or something. So over the cap? They, yeah. Oh, wow. So that so they had to clear out they ended up clearing out forty million. Uh their big free agent signing was Mark Lewinsky, an average guard from the Colts. Uh, they needed most of the cap space they cleared out just to sign their draft picks. So, no, they didn't really do much of anything in free agency because they were about $20 million over the cap to begin with. Right. So they had a James Bradbury. They cut Logan Ryan. They uh, made all these moves just to be operational, basically. It was a salary cap disaster, and rather than – uh, put scotch tape on it, which was Dave Gettleman's way. Uh, Joe Shane decided to take his medicine basically in year one, not really improve the roster, may actually probably made the roster a little bit worse, and um, go for savings and for salary cap health after this season and the optimism of having probably 80 million plus in salary cap space beginning in 2023. Yeah. The bears are in a similar spot next year. Like Ryan pace left the cupboard pretty bare with about, I think 29 million uh, in cap space and only five picks out of the seven that you usually uh, have. Cause we traded those two other picks to the giants, but um yeah, and he did very similar things. He he brought in guys on one year prove it deals, and uh, you know not really many household names on that list. And the one guy that we tried to pay failed his physical, so we ended up rescinding the contract in uh, Larry Oak and Joby. So um, even when he tried to spend money, it didn't work out uh, for Ryan Poles. But we've got somewhere, depending on who you talk to, anywhere from ninety to one hundred and twenty million uh, in cap space for twenty twenty three. So. We could be players uh, in in the uh, in the free agent market uh, next season. So yeah, that's, that's about like you said. That's about what the Giants are looking to do too. Yeah, so. and, and the one upgrade that I can see for sure because honestly, it couldn't get much worse, man. And trust me, I know from personal experience. But uh, was backup quarterback because you signed Tyrod Taylor uh, away from the Houston Texans to be your new backup uh, quarterback after. Uh, suffering through Mike Glennon for those last six, seven games last year. Yeah, backup quarterback, I guess, should be an upgrade. The offensive line is really the upgrade. They upgraded from the worst of all time to, uh, like, mediocre. So <laughs> they should have, like, a middle of the pack. I think I saw PFF rank them 18. That's what about what they should be. They should be a serviceable, maybe above average offensive line, which – doesn't sound great until you know where they were uh, the last couple of years, where they were the worst of the worst in the NFL. Um, with having Neil at right tackle and Andrew Thomas at left tackle, you have two young bookends. You have high hopes for both top seven picks. Uh, Gulwinski's a you know legitimate NFL starter at guard, which you know doesn't sound like high praise until you consider they haven't had that in a while. Um, <laughs> Uh, John Feliciano started but lost his starting job for the Bills. Well, okay, the Bills were a average to above average offensive line. He'll be at center. And then the other guard is former starter uh, Shane Lemieux, who was missed all, almost all of last season with injury. So it's about an average offensive line. So that is really the big upgrade they made. Right. So with Glowinski and Feliciano, those were the free agent additions thomas was injured wasn't he last year isn't he coming back off of injury no lemieux oh. was in lemieux played about 
20 snaps last year and missed the whole season. Thomas missed, I, I want to say, three games, but he actually had a very good – if you ask me who the Giants' overall best player okay. on offense is, it's Andrew Thomas. Right. He, he had a very good – uh, second season. He had a terrible rookie season. He had a very good first season, and you wonder how good it would have been if he didn't miss three games plus play through probably two or three others with nagging ankle pain to had surgery after the season. Uh, he was, I would say, arrows definitely pointing up towards Pro Bowl with him. Okay. So, but when we, we move on to the free agent subtractions, the losses, that's where the names start coming out. Uh, Keon Crossan, yeah. Evan Ingram, James Brandbury was more of a salary cap thing than, you know, uh, and anything else. Um, Lorenzo Carter, Jabril Peppers, Will Anderson, uh, and, and, and like you said, Logan Ryan, all all gone from this year's team. Correct. Yeah. Well, um, the secondary is the huge one. I mean, Peppers, Bradbury, and, uh, Logan Ryan played, I don't know, 90% of the snaps in 2020. Uh, Peppers got hurt last year, but Bradbury and Ryan played 97% of the snaps last year. Uh, so they go from having one of the best, probably one of the seven best secondaries in the NFL last year to it being the this year's version of the offensive line. The major question mark that could be ranked 32nd when the season ends. Uh, and if you know how Wink Martindale likes to play defense, blitz and put a lot of pressure on his secondary, that could be a very dangerous formula. Sure. Sure. What happened with Will Anderson? I mean, he was, you know, somebody that should have gone in the first round or was thought to go in the first round of the year. He got drafted. I think he was like the first pick in the second round or something when the Giants took him so he was highly touted and and uh you let him go in free agency to arizona will hernandez you mean yes what did i say will anderson who's my uh, pass yeah. will hernandez pass will hernandez yeah he's the pass rusher from uh, alabama that you're already dreaming about in the 2023 <laughs> NFL draft. yeah um will hernandez hernandez yeah, yeah. He was an Iron Man. I mean, he played almost every snap for four of I think he did play every snap in four of his five seasons here. Uh, totally a Iron Man. He just, he had a good rookie season and he regressed. He just never, now look, the Giants have had, I want to say six offensive, five offensive line coaches in the last four years, which is hard to do. Yeah. Uh, so there was never consistency of scheme or of being taught, what you were being taught constantly changed. But, a lot of players will tell you those are excuses. He just never developed into what he was supposed to develop. He's, you know, a tough, gritty guy, but, you know, probably missed, he didn't handle stunts well and, uh, you know, missed, just missed too many blocks. He just never developed into what they thought he was going to be, the 34th overall pick in the draft. Right. So we move on to the to the draft. And uh, as I said before, thanks to the Justin Fields trade you got the seventh overall pick out of the deal but you're picking at five and um Kayvon Thibodeau is the the choice for the uh for the Giants and then at seven Evan Neal as you mentioned before the offensive tackle from Alabama uh added on I mean two very strong additions and as general managers tend to do when they take over if it's not a quarterback they're usually picking somebody in the trenches to build from the inside out yeah and that's what they needed really I mean Yes, you're right. That's what teams tend to do, but uh, that's what the Giants did. They didn't need to add another receiver right now. They didn't need to, 
you know, add a running back right now or a linebacker. They needed the trenches or second. They needed to go offensive line, cornerback, and uh, pass rusher. They needed two of those three things. And uh, it's my belief that they would have taken uh, Sauce Gardner if he was there at five. The Jets took him at four. Mm -hmm. So once that happened, the Giants had to – a decision to make. Do we want to take an offensive lineman or a pass rusher? And as it turns out, they had a big gap between Kayvon Thibodeau and the next pass rusher on their board and not a big gap between Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu. Mm-hmm. So what they, what they said was, we'll take the pass rusher first to make sure we get him at five. And then we're okay with either offensive lineman at seven. Whereas if they took their top lineman, who I believe was Aquanu, but some people will tell you was Neal, Whereas if they took him at five, they could have lost Thibodeau at six and been in a um, been in a hole there at seven. Right. So they went pass rusher first, and then the Panthers took Aquanu, and then they got Neal. So uh, and then they waited on cornerback until the middle of the third round and took Cordell Flott. Right. Uh, in the second round, uh, Wandale Robinson was the receiver that was taken out of Kentucky. <laughs> Big surprise, yeah. yeah. Um, but I saw, well, I saw his bowl game against Iowa, and he was impressive in that game. Now, I'm not a big draft guy, so that was really my only time seeing him play. But based on that, you know, this guy's a, a you know, I guess the the Giants are going to use him as a, you know, like a weapon because he's a smaller receiver too, isn't he? Yeah, he's five eight, five eight. So, right. he, and he's five eight without electric speed. He's not five eight with Tyree Kill speed. Hmm. Uh, so, but no, he's a he's a gadget player. Uh, he, look, Brian Dable, you say that and you're like, oh, well, you hope you have a creative mind. Well, Brian Dable is a creative mind. Okay, if you gave Wandale Robinson to Jason Garrett, you'd say, what are you doing? Because this doesn't add up. This he's not going to be able to use this guy right. Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, you think would be able to use that kind of player right? To me, I didn't like receiver there nothing against Wandale Robinson I just thought they had bigger needs than receiver so I didn't love that idea and then oh and then not to mention I think he's repetitive with Kadarius Tony last year's first round pick mm. if you're looking for that gadget type player you already had Tony I just to me there's some overlap there so that to me is kind of a strange pick that we'll we'll see how the how the coaches use those two guys if they're on the field together. Cause that, that I think will be a interest. If they're not getting both, if they're not maximizing Tony and Robinson, then they wasted a premium asset. Right. What is the story with Kadarius Tony? Cause there was, I mean, rumors about the giants, maybe looking to move him, uh, you know, with the new regime that didn't draft him and, and things like that. I know he didn't have a very good rookie season, but I mean, was it bad enough that the, the new regime should have been looking at moving him? It's not that he had a bad season, it's he had a strange season. So okay. he had two he had two very good games. He was unstoppable against the Cowboys and he was very good uh the week before that against the Saints. And it looked like wow, the Giants really have something here. And then he had injuries to six different body parts. He um got COVID twice. His very first day of practice as a rookie before the season, his shoes didn't fit, so he couldn't practice. He just, he's a rapper, and it sometimes appears as if his main focus is music and not football. Okay. Uh, he 
gives he presents himself as a very different character in front of the cameras, um, argumentative to some degree. So there is certainly a question behind the scenes from the old staff and, you know, the new staff is just getting to know him of just how committed he is to football. And so I wouldn't say he had a bad season. He's a very talented player and uh, in a, he fits the mold of what today's electric receivers look like. You just don't know if he's fully committed to the work, the study, the, you know, I've had people describe it to me as somebody who you want on your team on game days, but the other six days of the week, you wonder if he's doing everything to succeed on game days. Mm. So, so there's some question there. I think it's a very big season for him to prove that he's, uh, prove that he's all in for this, uh, organization. And he, did not uh, practice at all during the spring. So coming off another injury, a seventh injury. Wow. Okay. So, wow, that was quite a tale of the tape you gave there. That is uh, definitely a, a, uh, a crazy 12-month period from being drafted up until now. Uh, that's uh, quite a whirlwind that he's been through in his first year. But uh, he, did put out, he did put out his second album recently. Oh, awesome. That's At least he did that. Um, yeah. So your other, you mentioned Cordell Flott, the the corner from LSU, is the is you know the first pick that the Giants made in the secondary. A few picks before, Josh Izudu, a guard from North Carolina, he's going to be more of a depth piece, I assume. Uh, yeah, he's got tackle guard versatility. I I think he'll be active on game days. It wouldn't surprise me if he's the sixth offensive lineman. You know, kind of the first stop at guard and tackle. That would not surprise me. And then the other pick from the Justin Fields trade in the fourth round was Daniel Bellinger, uh, tight end from San Diego State. And then your second uh, secondary choice at 114 in the fourth round, Dane Belton, safety from Iowa, with um, where the Giants trim the fat in the secondary. Is he going to see the field in 2022? Yeah, Belton was getting first-team reps Mm -hmm. in, uh, in the spring. It's probably between him and Julian Love to be the starter opposite Xavier McKinney, the best player on the defense. Uh, so I think they'll both, whoever starts Love and Belton will see a lot of time in sub packages, three safety looks. And you glossed over Bellinger there, but I think Bellinger is the starting tight end. Really? Uh, the, yeah, I think he's the starting tight end, the fourth, the fourth rounder they got in that pick from the Bears. I think you know they signed Ricky Seals-Jones as a free agent. He's really a one-trick, you know, wide receiver in a tight end's body. Uh, I think Daniel Bellinger is more of the classic 1990s, can catch a little, can block a little, you know, sneaky, not going to go for a buck 50, but at the end of the game, he'll have blocked for some big runs and he'll have, you know, four catches for 52 yards kind of tight end. And, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, it looks like he'll probably – he's the favorite to start heading into training camp. All right. And then the last four picks, you got uh, Micah McFadden, a linebacker from Indiana. You got DJ Davidson, a defensive tackle from Arizona. You got another guard, Marcus McKeithen from uh, North Carolina. And then uh, Darian Beaver is a linebacker from Cincinnati. So, I mean, are these um, – yeah, they're all depth pieces. Sure, I mean, sure. McKeith is a huge human, one of the biggest humans I've ever seen. They hope he can develop into a guard down the ro- a good guard down the road. Um, 
McFadden. They're kind of hoping he's a tackling machine. They're kind of hoping he can learn for a year under Blake Martinez, who's a tackling machine as he comes off his ACL injury. He'll, he'll be the starter this year. Maybe if McFadden impresses, he can step into those shoes next year and they don't have to sign a sign a replacement for Martinez. That would be their, you know, pipe dream is that, you know, they have a fourth round pick who fifth round pick who can start at linebacker. Martinez's job this year and, you know, McFadden's job is to, you know, pick up as much as he can from Martinez, but you know, you never know how those third did. Put it this way, the Giants haven't had a lot of luck, right? From beginning in the third round, they haven't signed a third round pick to a second contract since 2005. So wow. uh, their third round picks have pretty much been epic flops and they haven't had much success after the third round either. So uh, if Joe Shane just gets guys who are solid contributors, you know, Gabe Davis, who had the what, four touchdowns in that famous Bills Chiefs game last year, was a fifth round pick by the Bills. If Somehow he can bring that late round magic to the Giants. That'll go a long way. Sure, sure. Yeah, that was one uh, one unique talent that Ryan Pace had was was finding gems in the on on day three in the draft. Uh, you know, Tariq Cohen, Eddie Jackson, uh, Jordan Howard, um, uh, Khalil Herbert last year. I mean, I mean, and and I'm obviously I'm forgetting some. Good, Bilal Nichols, Travis Gibson, all fifth round picks, fourth round picks. Uh, you know, all contributors and starters uh, for the Bears. I mean, that was one of the things he was actually really good at. Not so much with first and second round picks, but day three, he could find guys that were better than the guys he picked on day one. Yeah. So, um, so we move into the into the schedule, and um, just looking at it from your, your your bye week is week nine. After week nine, you play five of your six division game. Actually, starting week twelve. You play five of the six division games there in the back half of the schedule, leaving the Giants no room for error if they're trying to make a run at the end of the season. Here's an alarming stat for you. After eight games, the Giant of the last four years, the Giants have been one and seven, two and six, one and seven, and one and seven. <laughs> okay. So the season has been over by Halloween the last four years. Right. So uh, it's much more important to the Giants what's at the front of the schedule. They've been 0-2 five straight years, I think. Uh, five straight years at 0-2. So it's much more important to them that they get off to a fast start. The end of the schedule doesn't matter because it never matters because they're buried long before that. So, um, so it's much more important what's at the front of the schedule. I think they have the Panthers in week two. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, but I got I it think- here. It's, uh, you start at Tennessee – Home for the and then three straight home games. You got the home for the Panthers Monday night against the Cowboys, and then that's when the Bears come in Week Four. Before so you, go ahead, yeah. So you think that the Giants, if you're an optimist, you think hey, we could get out of that two and two. You know, beat the Panthers, beat the Bears. Bears. Yeah. We're two, we're two and two. The Giants haven't been two. You know, people will be thrown. You know. People will be throwing Christmas parties here. Giants haven't been two and two in what feels like forever. So uh, that's what's important to the Giants, not the late division game. If they get off to a start, that the games might actually mean something. And look, sure. I don't think if you've listened to the first whatever it is half hour of this interview, I think you know that I think they're a pretty bad team, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. But you look at that schedule, and I think there. I think if you look at the NFL right now, there's. Seven, I think it is, 
very good teams, right? There's the Panthers, the Packers, the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Chargers, or maybe I forgot one, but there's seven or eight really good top-notch dudes that could win the Super Bowl teams. And I think there's seven awful teams in the NFL. (laughs) And I'm I'm talking about uh, the Giants, the Panthers, the Jaguars, the Texans, the uh, Bears, the Seahawks. I'm trying to remember. There's seven awful teams. And if you look at the Giants' schedule, and so one of those seven awful teams is going to finish 25th in the league, and that's not going to be look so terrible. That's not going to look so terrible. And the Giants somehow face all those awful teams. They face the the Jaguars and the Texans because they get the AFC South. They face the Seahawks who, when the schedule came, when the opponents first came out, had Russell Wilson. Now they don't. So you get the Seahawks, you get the Bears, you get the The Panthers. They have them all. They have them all on their schedule. So if if they go. One in six against those teams, they're going to be uh, the first pick in the draft. Right. And if they go five and two against those teams, well, then they're going to be, you know, a misleading, you know, seven and ten because they beat up on five teams somehow worse than them. Right. So uh, they have a very favorable schedule for a team that is not very good. Uh, the schedule could make them look better than they are. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to learn a lot in those first eight games. And we talked, you know, the Titans, the Panthers, the Cowboys on Monday night, and then the Bears uh, before you head over to the the UK. We're playing the Packers in London uh, where you're the road team. Not that it matters, but but then you're home for the Ravens, and then you're at Jacksonville and at Seattle. So, you know. An optimist could tell you you're going to be 4-4 and after those games, right? You're going to beat the Panthers, the Bears, the and the last, and the, the last two teams here, the Jaguars and the Seahawks. You're going to be four and four. And again, considering they haven't been better than two and six in five years, that's that's coach of the year stuff for Brian Dable. Well, I mean, you also have the potential here for a four-game winning streak because you're at Jacksonville, you're at uh, Seattle, then you have a bye week, then you're home for the Texans and the Lions. Yeah, yeah, the so, there's another team. I didn't mi- mention them when I mentioned the eight bad teams. The Lions, there you go. They're on the schedule, too. So, yeah. again, like, there's a lot of opportunity there for the Giants, if they're functional, to beat up on teams that are worse than them. Yeah, there's there's some winnable games on the schedule. And then you're, 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 you've got a Thanksgiving date in Dallas with the Cowboys. And then this is where, you know, you have the Commanders and the Eagles at home, and then you're on the road at the Commanders again at Minnesota, home for the Colts, and then at the Eagles uh, to finish out. So, you know, it's it's going to be important for the Giants to be playing their best football at this time because those are the games that really matter, those division games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if those games matter, then something went very right for the Giants. I mean, I mean – it's easy to see them also being two and nine, and who cares what happens in those five? <laughs> games. So if those games matter at all, then they then something went right. As a beat writer, what's it like being in the, the the locker room talking to the players when you know the season is over with four or five games left to go? Well, we have, remember we haven't been in the locker room in two years. Oh, hopefully, right. we'll, sure. Hopefully, we'll be back. So it's a little different when guys are you know brought by a PR staff to the podium and the cameras are on them, and they can't really say how they truly feel. So um, 
it's a little different there, but because I've been doing it for five years and they've been bad for all five, uh, I do know, I can remember back to what it's like in 18 and 19 when the team is bad in the locker room. And it is what it is. You would expect it to be. For the hour the media is in there, maybe two guys, three guys are at their lockers. Most stay clear so they don't have to talk about it. Um, it's a ghost town. The guys who are there are grumbling as, uh, Patch, as uh, Joe Judge pointed out after that loss to the Bears. When Pat Shermer was here, guys had golf clubs in the locker room, which was a sign of, hey, we're looking forward to the offseason. So it was not a – it's not a pretty sight. And, look, fans fans always think, like, you know, writers are against their team or whatnot. It makes our job much more harder that way when no one wants to talk to Look, when a team is winning, everybody's in there like, hey, you want, you want to talk to me? Let's talk about how great I am. Like, everybody likes that. So yeah. it's much easier to cover a winner than it is to cover a loser. I bet. I bet. So, and you covered Rutgers for a long time as well, right? I did, yep. And that was a kind of a mixed bag. Like, the Shiano years were good. The, the years after, not so much. I missed most of the I missed most of the good years. I got lots of the losing years. So yeah. I think I covered them for three years before they got good and then for five years after they were good. And I had eight seasons total, I think, and I saw them go to one bowl game. So, <laughs> so it's me. It's me. It's, That's it's, the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, I honestly, I kind of feel the same way. I started this podcast in 07, the year after they went to the Super Bowl. We've been to the playoffs, what, two or three times in the 15 seasons I've yeah. been doing the show. So. You know, it's yeah. hard not to feel like it's you when your yeah. first season after they go to the Super Bowl, they're seven and nine, six and ten, or whatever it was, and uh, you know we're yeah. always picking in the top half of the draft instead of the bottom. Yeah, makes the off season interesting, though. Certainly does. That's for sure. So, you know, looking at things, where where do you think the the outcome of this team is is headed? Uh, like I said, I think they're they'll be at the bottom of the NFL. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they're. I think the roster is worse than last year. So anything that any optimism is coming from two things, maybe the team stays healthy, which they haven't proven they can do in four years. And maybe the coaching is a huge upgrade, which I think is one of the most foolhardy things NFL fans do is expect the head coach and the coordinators to provide this, Huge upgrade. I mean, to me, in the NFL, talent still wins. Giants still have probably the second or third least talented roster. It's very top-heavy. You know, they have bloated contracts with stars who underperform and haven't been healthy, and they have no depth because of it. So when injuries pile up, they're playing practice squad caliber players. I mean, I think... Uh, Dan Duggan, the Giants reporter at the Athletic, totaled it up. I, I don't want to get the number wrong, but I don't know. I'll just, as a ballpark, the Giants had something like 24 free agents uh, last season, uh, this past offseason, and only like six of them are on teams. So they were playing like 18 guys who didn't, who aren't even in the league now <laughs> uh, last year. So, and I think, honestly, I think the roster got worse overall. Yeah. So, and I think that was by design. I mean, Joe Shane didn't want to spend money to have a slight upgrade. That didn't make sense. And I think he did the right thing by being patient. Like, what is the point of signing some defensive tackle 
that maybe takes you from four wins to five wins. Like, I, I don't really understand the point of that. Yeah. You're much you're much better off saving for when you need to fill spots when you have a base, and he's building the base right now. So, uh, like I said, the schedule could bloat it, but right now I'd pick the Giants at about four and thirteen, five and twelve, something yeah. like that. And what are your thoughts on on Dable so far? Uh, I mean, look, he's um, been uh, the fans love him because he's funny and he's got an every man vibe. He was at all the Rangers hockey playoff games, waving a towel like a lunatic. So he's got a, he's got an every man vibe to him. Um, he's, you know, comfortable in his own skin, which matters here. Uh, doesn't seem flustered, but really all that matters is, uh, how does, well, does he, you know, punt on fourth and one from the 40 or does he go for it? Does, uh, is his offenses, are they aggressive or are they conservative? Does he get anything out of Daniel Jones? Or was that just because Josh Allen is a super freak that now he looked like a quarterback guru? Because he didn't get a lot out of Brady Quinn or <clears throat> Colt McCoy or Matt Moore or the quarterbacks he had before Josh Allen. So uh, that's really all that's going to matter. Because truthfully, I thought very highly of Joe Judge. I still think very highly of Joe Judge. And he got fired because he was a conservative play caller and uh, his teams didn't win and he worked his guys hard and they didn't like it because they were losing. So, you know, a team seems to like Brian Dable, but, you know, the team will like him if they go 10 and 7 and they won't like him if they go 2 and 15. (laughs) All right. Well, Ryan Dunleavy, we appreciate you coming back on to, uh, to help us preview uh, this team, we look forward to having you back on to preview uh, week four, see where this team is after the first uh, three games, especially that one game the we're coming off the Monday nighter against the Cowboys uh, when we uh, when we next are in line to uh, to chat. And uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. My Twitter is at R-Y Dunleavy, Rye, first two letters of my first name, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y. Uh, same for Instagram. And nypost.com has all our Giants coverage. Awesome. So, Ryan, we look forward to having you back uh, late September, early October to preview that game. And uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us to help preview the Giants. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy having Ryan Dunleavy uh, on the show. Look forward to having him on uh, to preview the week four matchup between the Bears uh, and the Giants. So it won't be too long before we're talking to uh, him again. (laughs) Did anybody else uh, find it entertaining that when uh, we're talking about the 2021 season, he was like, hey, let's talk about something else. I don't want to talk about this anymore. (laughs) I mean, that was me talking about, like, well, 2019, 2020, 2020. Yeah, it's like, eh, let's, let's just move on. Because you, you, you get me talking about how those seasons went, how frustrating they were to watch. I mean, especially last year. And it just, you know, it's like this is, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit uh, with, with Lauren uh, as we preview 2022 uh, and everything. But, um, you know, it's like, all right, we're on to new stuff now. We're, we're on to a new coach, 
uh, a new regime, a new general manager. We got a bunch of new players on the team. So I totally get where he's coming from when he's like, yeah, let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> so but I just thought of, I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk about 2021 anymore. I, I lived through it. I was there, you know. So, but uh, I found that uh, entertaining. So, but thank, uh, thanks, Ryan, for, for joining us uh, this time. We'll see you. Uh, when we preview the game uh, in a couple of months, actually. And uh, now we move on to the Washington Commanders. And this will be an interesting conversation uh, as well, because this was a team that was, if you guys remember, defending NFC East champions coming into the season. Uh, they were a team that had high hopes. They had, uh, you know, one of the hit of like a one in five, one in six start in 2020, and then really came on at the end, this young, strong defense. And, you know, if they could have ever gotten it figured out at quarterback uh, in 2020, um, you know, and then, and the same thing happened in 2021, only they were ravaged by injuries on the defensive side uh, as well. So, I mean, it was one of those things where they had high hopes coming into 2021. They looked like based on, you know, when you look at things through this, through the lens of the prior season, they look like they were in the best position to win the NFC East again. And, of course, the Cowboys kind of came out of nowhere. But, um, you know, when you win a division at, what, 6-9-1 or 6-10 and 10 or 7-9 and nine or whatever it was for the Redskins, they had a losing record for sure. Um, you know, coming out of nowhere doesn't take much, you know. But, um, you know, they, they, had, an, they had a plan uh, at quarterback, and that didn't work out. Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt like two quarters in to the season, had a hip injury that uh, essentially ended his career because he retired this offseason. He didn't play at all in 2021. Uh, he retired this offseason, uh, and they had to kind of scramble around to, you know, with, uh, with Heineke uh, at quarterback, but he wasn't really meant for the big stage. He was meant to play the role he played in 2020 to be the guy that comes off the bench uh, and what have you, not be your long-term everyday starter. And, the, you know, the, he ended up getting hurt and not playing well had a little bit of a quarterback carousel, that kind of thing. And 2021 just did not go uh, the way that they wanted to. So, but, um, you know, so we talked to our new friend, uh, Brian, a.k.a. Mr. Who, uh, from uh, <laughs> to, uh, to uh, you know, help us preview the commanders. It was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed having him on the show. Uh, looking forward to talking to him when the Bears and I was going to say, I was just going to say Redskins. Bears and Skins get together on week number six. With the Bears and the Commanders, week number six will be the Bears' one and only Thursday night matchup uh, for the year. So be sure to come back on Thursday as we preview the Washington Commanders as we make our way through the NFC East. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.